You've tuned in to Columbia Calling, your first stop for everything you want to know about Columbia. How and where to invest, where to visit. From the Pacific to the Caribbean, the Andes Mountains to the Amazon jungle, Columbia has a slice of everything. Shooting from the hip, answering the questions that need answering. Here's your host, the journalist and hotelier, Richard McCall, shedding some light on the fashionable South American destination of Colombia. It's that time of the week again, folks. This is me, your host, Richard McCall, here in Mompos Bolivar. That's five hours south from Cartagena. Follow the Magdalena River all the way in and you'll get to this UNESCO World Heritage Site, which I call home from time to time. Well, about 50% here and 50% in Bogota. And this is episode 388 of the Columbia Calling podcast. So I need to know, I need your feedback. What do you think? Those of you who've signed up for the Patreon $1 a month subscription fee to receive Emily Hart's news audio segment directly to your WhatsApp account, what do you think? Is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Would you like to see more of it? Do more people need to sign up? Well, I think so. But anyhow, we've had a good pickup on this so far. And don't miss out because this opportunity is for a limited time only. And then we will increase the price for the subscription. Obviously, obviously, those who are already subscribers on the Patreon campaign have been included in this benefit. So thank you again. That's $1 a month for four news segments in audio files dropped directly into your WhatsApp uh, accounts every Monday. That's the news collated and digested and sent to you by Emily Hart. So excellent. No gimmicks, no spam, just the news from Columbia. So I think it's going to be a roaring success. And well done to Emily for, for doing this and putting it together. So on this episode 388, we're going to be talking, we're going to, you know, change up tack. We've had a couple of very serious episodes when we've uh, talked to people from the Primera Línea or the front line of protests in Colombia and what they hope and, and their dreams for the future and why they're out there marching. But this time we're just going to take the look of, uh, of the life of, uh, you know, an immigrant to Colombia, Glenn Galindo, originally from all over the United States, army family. He himself is a marine veteran, and he's set up there in Chinchina, uh, Caldas. So we'll talk to him about his life in Chinchina, Caldas. And it's been, well, I have to say, it's an upbeat and a positive story for you today. You're going to enjoy it because it's just great to hear of people doing things and succeeding and, you know, still singing the praises of this country that those of us here call home of Colombia. So I'm going to leave you now in the capable hands, as always, with Emily Hart, journalist, and she will give you the news. And then we'll be back with Glenn Galindo, live with us from Chinchina Caldas in the Coffee Zone. So thank you for listening. Don't go away. I'm Emily Hart, and these are your top stories from Colombia for the week of August 9th, 2021. Colombia's president, Ivan Duque, now has one year left in office, and in a speech last week, laid out his priorities for his final 12 months. Duca said that his priorities were finishing his national vaccination plan to control the COVID-19 pandemic, the reactivation of the economy, and increased support for young people and the defence of legality. Stabilisation of public finances amid the economic crisis generated by the pandemic will be key, especially after the country's loss of investment rating last month. The focus will be generating employment, empowering small businesses, and supporting tourism, which has been acutely affected by the pandemic. 
Duca also said he is committed to programmes such as free tuition, youth employment subsidy and the Youth Pact to seek solutions to the needs of young people, seen as particularly key after their significant part in the recent National Paro protest movement. In peace process news, moves are being made to create seats in Congress for victims of Colombia's civil conflict. The Constitutional Court has ruled that 16 seats should be implemented for the 2022-2026 period, constituted of people on the National Registry of Victims. The seats will be filled from 16 constituencies in areas affected by conflict. President Duque is expected to pass the act, though former President Álvaro Uribe reproposed the idea of a referendum against the so-called peace seats. There is little reason to believe the referendum would be successful. The investigation for witness tampering and bribery against former President Álvaro Uribe rumbles on. Prosecutor Gabriel Jaimez finished making his arguments for the shelving of the case this week. In September 2011, Senator Ivan Cepeda produced set testimonies that Uribe and his brother had participated in the creation of the Metro Bloc, part of the paramilitary group the United Self-Defense Forces. Uribe accused Cepeda of fabricating evidence. In 2018, a court concluded that Cepeda was not just innocent, but instead the victim of Uribe himself, who had used fabricated witness testimonies to back up his own accusations. This week, it was ruled Uribe's lawyer from that time will remain in prison, facing charges for having manipulated witnesses in favour of Uribe. The case continues, and it is not yet known whether or not the case against the former president will be shelved. Thousands of migrants remain stranded at Necocli, on the coast of the Department of Antioquia, many from Haiti, though some from as far as Africa and East Asia. In the face of the migration crisis on the Panamanian border, Colombian officials have been meeting with Panamanian officials and a permanent migration office is to be established in the town. Though street mobilizations are currently subdued, Colombia's prosecution continues to push to prosecute alleged leaders of the anti-government protests. Prosecutors in the capital Bogotá and in cities like Medellín and Cali have called protesters to court on all kinds of charges, including terrorism, torture and extortion. So far, however, judges have largely refused to jail protesters. According to human rights organizations, thousands have been detained on trumped-up charges since the protest began in late April. The Delta variant of COVID-19 has now been detected in Bogota, and the health ministry has warned that by October it will be the dominant mutation in Colombia. The variant's presence is a serious issue around the world because it is more contagious and would change the initial calculations necessary for herd immunity from 70% to as high as 90%. Cases in Colombia, meanwhile, continue to fall, now at around 6,000 new daily cases, with 40% of the country having received one dose of vaccine and around 25% fully vaccinated. In The Economist magazine's new Normalcy Index, Colombia was rated 17th in the world for countries which are returning to normal activities after the health crisis, in a list topped by Hong Kong, Romania and Nigeria. Thanks for listening. Those were your top stories from Colombia for the week. We're back. This is the Columbia Calling Podcast and the third segment of this episode. My very special guest this week is Glenn Galindo and he is in Chinchina Caldas. And we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the projects that he's been running uh, for some years in this uh, very, very scenic town in the coffee zone. So welcome on the Columbia Calling Podcast, Glenn. How are you? Thank you so much for having me. I've, I've actually wanted to be on your podcast for, for some time, so I'm going to enjoy this opportunity very, very much, Richard. Thank you. 
Well, there we go. That flattery, as we say always, will get you absolutely everything that you wanted. You're on the podcast, and well, we're we're discussing we're discussing you. We're discussing you and your projects, and it's very exciting. Now, give us a little bit of a background. How does a uh, let's say a, a uh, marine veteran end up in Chinchinacaldas? Um, unexpectedly, <laughs> just <laughs> just life life happens. Um, yes. Yeah, uh, so I I've been busy in the U.S. Uh, running a nonprofit uh, in, around the education field, and uh, prior to that, yes, I was a Marine Corps officer, and uh, just came to a point in my life where I thought it would be fun to explore outside our U.S. borders, and an opportunity came. Um, I working I was working with um, uh, in a nonprofit working with university students uh, promoting the idea of spending time abroad, including that in your experience. And a friend of mine had a company that uh, takes uh, medical missions, students of uh, nursing and pre-med background abroad to do medical missions. And I had been in Colombia years back in 2007, um, where I had a short stint. I came out here uh, to be the best man at a wedding, as it often happens. My One of my best buddies came out here to Colombia, went to Medellin and fell in love. And I was the best man to be. So I came out here to help set up his wedding. I enjoyed it so much. I came back that summer, uh, got myself a, a, a TEFL certification, taught some English, loved it. But back uh, doing, I was doing graduate school at that point. I went back in life, rolled me forward. And then later on, when my friend uh, had the medical missions program uh, going, um, I thought, I told him, you know, we should consider Columbia. I had a wonderful time. So long story short, he gave me the opportunity to come and set it up for their company. So I came out and um, uh, was to select a place where uh, safely and in a positive, wonderful experience, these students would come and have a wonderful uh, medical mission. And I came, set it up, fell in love now with the landscape of the coffee region, with the people, uh, relationships started building, friendships. I thought, you know, maybe I'll do this myself for a little bit. I did. And I did it for a little bit and then for a little longer. And again, um, decided I think this fits in my life. Um, uh, never been happier. I've now spent seven years operating and living in Colombia, in central Colombia, and have now projects that span uh, the whole country. Amazing. I would just give us a bit of a background. A, a medical mission is where, I guess, uh, you know, healthcare professionals come down and lend their skills in a, in a less, I mean, developed region? Or, I mean, what would, how would you just, uh, describe a medical mission? Sure. Well, there's different ways that's done throughout the world. In this particular case, uh, we primarily brought and bring still uh, students and yeah. uh, either pre-med students or uh, nursing students, undergrad programs, or professional nurses uh, or doctors who simply want to come and uh, learn and serve. Depends where they are in their careers. In Colombia, we hire professional medical doctors and buy the medications here locally because when you treat locals, you want them to be able to continue purchasing the same uh, medications uh, that uh, that serve them well. So everything's done locally, and the inbound, primarily Americans and Canadians, uh, are here to to learn, uh, to observe, 
to share and, and uh, just have a wonderful academic as well as personal growth experience. I assume this is a, a far more hands-on experience you know, for these guys coming down as students to come down and get really you know, knee-deep in, in society and healthcare in Colombia. How long do they usually spend down here? Usually it is a school break. So whether it be a Christmas break, a spring break, or two weeks in the summer. And you organize everything for them, the logistics, where they're going, what they're going to be doing. I mean, this is this is where you come in. Um, certainly. As, as a former Marine Corps officer, logistics and risk adversity and just management of, of uh, logistics operations, that's that's what I do. And Excellent. so it's, uh, yeah. Yeah, we're responsible that they that they have a fun educational experience and do no harm, which yes. is the latter part it's equally as important. Yes. Yeah, I yeah, that's uh, <laughs> very very important indeed. Now, I, I want to ask you because, well, you've you've gone from this as well, and you know, there's uh, you've gone on and moved on, and and you are now doing sort of uh, English teaching programs and so on. Is it how's this working? Well, you know, like initially um, was not really planned and it just sort of happened. I allowed myself to uh, stay where it felt right, where it felt good. And, and we, we, I was happy. I was happy. And we began, uh, you know, forming those friendships and relationships. Uh, I now have a, a Columbia, uh, Colombian family. I have three children, two young boys, one daughter. So this is, this is home. This is home and very much, very happy, super happy. And so, um, but originally it was, okay, I'll go explore. Wow, I like it. Good. I'll, I'll put, I'll throw my uh, savings into this. And my God, I'm going to live, I don't know how long, two, three years, I thought, and give myself a break. Um, but no, this is home now. And so along the way, we, because we were being successful, uh, bringing, oh, I don't know, it's probably the first four years um, probably around 500 uh, foreigners that came to participate uh, wow. in, in these medical missions. And so the Ministry of Education of Colombia um, asked me for help. They had heard that I had no trouble inviting foreigners. And they were running a national uh, program, Colombia Bilingue, throughout uh, 67 communities nationwide where 487 native English speakers would be co-teaching embedded with public schools nationally. So they asked me for help. Um, I, uh, being a former educator of over 20 years, working in higher ed, working with, with, with uh, students and teachers alike in the education field, I used to run recruitment, retention, uh, service learning, just a lot of activities, federal grants uh, in different universities. And so when they invited me to be part of it, I was ecstatic. So I became their national director of well-being for the foreign uh, teachers and also uh, ended up being asked to lead their recruitment. And that brought me into the field. Now, at that point, as I said, um, two, three years earlier, I said, hey, I'm going to do this for two, three years. And you don't really make tons of money uh, running a volunteer program. The, the, the essence, the nature of it is to give, not to take. And so... I, I was running out of money and I wanted to stay at that point. This is, this was home. And so it, it landed right on my lap. Um, I said, of course I will help you. And it, it's been awesome. I had a great, that program ran for about six months. Um, it was a federal program 
But what happened is once it disbanded, the, the teachers that remain in the country um, went, found work. And wherever they went to in the schools, then they started telling the schools, well, I know who can help you. And I started getting calls uh, from principals uh, from private schools at this point saying, hey, can you help us? And sure. So it fell on our lap. We, we recognized an opportunity. My small team at that point, there was um, uh, five on staff and uh, we said, great, let's let's do this. So I, I, again, uh, one, one awesome project after another. So we got busy. We now have um, a little over 100 uh, private schools that request um, uh, not just English teachers, but teachers of all fields, uh, social science, math, biology, chemistry, art, music, uh, primary certified, preschool, does not matter. They, there's a great deal of need. I mean, I was given the opportunity to be first at a national level, to be the fly in the wall, and then they gave me the mic uh, to be part of the design of uh, the national bilingual program. And so now I got that experience, and plus my background in, in working in higher ed, and also as a teacher, I've, I've taught high school, I've taught uh, pretty much K through 12 and taught at universities. So now I'm being asked by principals in Columbia, hey, could you help us to build to structure, to improve our bilingualism culture, our bilingual program. Um, it's, it's been nonstop, it, it's, it's awesome. And um, we continue to grow. Uh, we've done immersion programs for public and private schools for students, statewide teacher programs. Um, it, it's just been, been nonstop. Um, recently, well not recently now, when the pandemic hit, again, where is a problem, pay attention because there's an opportunity uh, because there's change happening. There's change happening. And so when the pandemic came, um, of course, all volunteering stopped. The last volunteers we had was a group of professional nurses from New York. They hopped on a humanitarian flight that went back to fight the virus um, and all inbound, of course, volunteer teams and individuals. At that point, we also started having individuals come um, stopped. Um, Everyone who was, most everyone who was a native English speaker that was teaching in the country also hopped on a humanitarian flight and off they went back to England, to uh, you know, wherever they were from, Canada, US, Australia. So things change. And I, I found myself with some time and I decided I'd been advising Colombian teachers to also seek their opportunity to go teach abroad, to realize that next level, that next challenge uh, to go to a native English country. And so we started that project. And so um, it's been fantastic. Just this week, we're celebrating our first group of Colombian teachers now reached the U.S. So um, now it's a two-way. Um, we have, uh, and we have a great deal of need, um, which I hope your listeners hear this we have a great deal of need of bilingual english speakers all experience levels of all fields uh in colombia to teach short-term long-term in all types of schools and and now we have the opportunity to have the colombian teachers go to the u.s we can for you know we can look in the future when they come back to help them regain footing in the education field uh, it, it's it's um i don't know when i hear someone uh, there's nothing to do it's just, it's just, I don't get it. There's tons to do. 
It's, 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 I think the, the issue of sending Colombian teachers up to the U.S. and, and well, hopefully they, they come back. Is there some kind of a, 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 of a written commitment that they must return to Colombia or what, do they end up staying? What's the, what's the stay rate? Ah, yeah. Well, the stay rate, I'll tell you in the future since we've begun. However, they're going on a J-1 visa uh, yeah. to the U.S. So it's a three-year commitment with an opportunity ah. if the U.S requests it, if that school district needs them, uh, they can extend to a fourth and fifth year. But it's a mm. cultural exchange program, so it's very much designed for them to go and come back. This, it's a 50-year-old program that we're participating in. It's the idea of cultural exchange so that there are good, strong ties between the yeah. nations. Um, so it's part of a bigger picture. Mm. But, uh, oh, yeah, there are literally thousands of uh, foreign teachers uh, in, in, uh, in the U.S. currently. Yeah. Tell me a little bit of something. When you, when you place, let's say, Anglophone teachers here in Colombia, where has been the, the most obscure, the most extreme place you've ended up placing someone? I mean, in <laughs> Caquetá or, um, I don't know, somewhere rural? You know, I mean, I guess you have to answer that with a perspective of what would be obscure for yeah. a Ford. Right. So maybe we'll call it unexpected or at okay. least likely. But no, because if you talk to, you know how it is, you've been in Colombia for many years. I haven't met a Colombia who didn't think their hometown was the best hometown yeah. ever in Colombia. Um, there's a lot of regionalism and localism and they love, they love their communities and their grandma still lives in that community. Um, so it's a lot less transient than what we're used to in the U.S. or generally. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah. we have we have had teachers in La Guajira. La Guajira is uh, often you hear of La Guajira because uh, there's some oh um, there's some it's an area where maybe they've had drought and there's some uh, indigenous communities and there's some desert areas. But, but you know, if you ask my teachers that went there. Um, they think they're so lucky. They feel the luckiest ever that they got those spots. Um, so we've had, you know, most, most foreigners, of course, they've only heard of uh, Medellin and Bogota, maybe Cartagena, uh, maybe Cali, uh, pretty much the four big cities that they've heard of. And so they come in inquiring, hey, can I get Medellin? Can I get in Bogota or, or Cartagena or Cali? Um, but, you know, we, we, we make sure that they understand there is uh, life outside of Medellin. And I've never had anybody regret having the opportunity to spend, whether it be six months or a year or two years, at a, at a different community. And if I put those people together in a room who are in different communities, they'd all say, I'm the lucky one because I was in the best place possible in Colombia. Um, but there are literally you know, 60 plus uh, cities, uh, small cities. Uh, medium-sized cities that that have uh, placements, you know, places that are over, eh, well, I mean, there's some tiny little spots that we've had. Uh, TVO, where we have a couple of gentlemen teaching there, they think it's the best thing. And it's a community of maybe, oh, 5,000. So it, it there's everything, everything. Yeah. And these volunteers that come down, I do have to ask, of course, there's all the due diligence is done. They have their police background checks. They're, you know, they're checked out. These people are going to be legit in the country. They're not just sort of, I don't know, uh, you know, taking advantage of a situation. You, you guys do organize this as well. 
Sure. Well, let's differentiate volunteers from paid teachers. Yeah. Um, and, and even within paid teachers, you must differentiate between, you know, an IB uh, uh, school, international baccalaureate, international bilingual school. Um, and it's going to be a different profile uh, of teacher from education, from background, from uh, years of experience, from types of degrees. So those come pretty much within the network of IB schools and references. You know, they're going to be teachers that have been teaching globally, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20 years. So there's a very, very established reference check process um, because they're networked. They're, they're all globally networked. So that's going to be one extreme. The other extreme is, hey, I graduated with a humanities degree or sociologist degree or criminal justice degree, but I really want to travel or I want to, my friend did this, she loves it. Um, can I, can you help me start my teaching? Whether it be trial, experiment, uh, you know, first experience, or maybe they've decided, yeah, I'm going to spend three to five years doing this. So it varies. And so it, to answer your question, based on where they're going to be working will be the different, very different set of, 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 of requirements from a background check. Um, but in some cases, no, it's not necessary because all you have to do is pick up the phone and call the last two schools. Uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, it, it, just, it just depends. But yeah. there's room for everybody. And yeah. what we tend to do is advise them to understand. I, I, I try to understand what their goals are, short-term, long-term, and then develop a strategic plan, how they can get there. Um, I, yes, they have an ideal uh, income that they want. They have an ideal location, an ideal role. But usually I ask them to put those in priority and understand what the timeline is to get all those three things, the perfect city, the perfect salary, the perfect role. But some have to be patient one year, two years to get there and, you know, keep recontracting to scale up. But some are already there and they're in high demand and they get exactly what they're looking for. I don't know whether to say good. I mean, what I what I'm taking from all this, uh, Glenn, is that you've you know obviously made a home here in Colombia, and you've seen it for what it is. It's a country with everything to do, and with the right spirit, the right attitude, the right people around you, and the right project, it can be done. I mean, you you seem to have overcome any initial hurdles, or or have there been bumps along the way that have made you think, ah, you know what? I've got to trash this. I'm going back to the U.S. <laughs> I think you hit it on the head. Um, and, and the changes have had to happen were within me. Um, I think the initial phase is where you, you don't think of it, but you're, you're judging based on your previous life experience and you're setting expectations in a different country. And it can be frustrating because things aren't happening either as fast or what you think is a logical sequence of how things should happen from setting up a company, from uh, relationships with employees, structures of employees, from simply how um, government or business or community organizations behave. All these things um, initially can be frustrating if you just are unaware. <laughs> unself-aware that 
you're not stopping to ask why certain things happen the way they happen. And once you do that, then you go, ah, okay. Then you tend to begin to find solutions. Um, that happens with teachers. You know, if they're not um, advised preemptively, which we do, um, but initially we noticed, oh, there's, there was a lot of first year hiccups because they weren't prepared uh, on expectations, how to get what they wanted, how to be successful, and what certain practices and cultural behavior actually means. But it's yeah. about not judging it from your, in, you know, how you're, the perspective that you have. You got to remember, you're, you're the new one. So things are here for a reason. And, um, but yeah, initially it was frustrating by why couldn't I do certain um, administrative things? Most, mostly that was the, the big frustration. Um, but, uh, we're long, long past that phase. We're, we're, yeah. we're fine. Yeah. Uh, I think I got, uh, I got told or I got, it, it got announced to me some weeks ago by, uh, an, uh other English immigrants to Colombia so here uh, when they were coming through Montpost where I am now. And of course it has a reputation that we're in the Caribbean region. It's hot. People tend to move a bit slower. I think, uh, things happen slower. And my friend said, you know, you've, you've got, what seems to be a limit, limitless reservoir of patience. And I was like, yeah, but in Mompos, I do, because I know the situation. And it's been however many years, since uh, 2007, since I first came here, and I've been doing things. But in Bogota, my apt attitude is totally different. Because Bogota markets itself as an international, you know, cosmopolitan city. And so th if things don't uh, happen as I would expect them to happen a bit better in the capital, then I then I that my 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 patience is is, <laughs> is is shorn. But here in Montpos, when someone says, "Well, you know," and this, and I'm saying, "Oh, okay, okay, yeah, I understand. Maybe I'll come back later, or maybe I'll come back tomorrow." But after the sun has gone down a bit, right. you know, it's that kind <laughs> of thing. It's a, you know you know how and 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 they look at you. Well, of course they know me. I mean, the foreigner in town, but they look at it's like. Uh, he knows how it works, you know, he knows how it works. Yeah. And also, in such an isolated community as where I am now, there's a finite amount of people that can be employed. So mm -hmm. if I lose my patience with a builder, well, <laughs> he'll just walk off. <laughs> and he knows I'm going to have to probably look for him again. Yeah. You know, it's, like, like it's the same as the guy who stole, he found a, a silver spoon in the wall. Uh, mm -hmm. when he was knocking out some of the wall to put a bathroom in and he disappeared and, and then uh, he sold it in a pawn shop and never came back because, um, because it was more money than he was making you know, in a week. And then I later ran into him and I was like, well, you know, what happened? He was like, yeah, he was totally honest about it. So, yeah, you know, I found it and I sold it. And I said, well, you know, you did pull it out of a wall that belongs to me. It's, you could just split the money. He's like, well, yeah, but I found it. <laughs> so that, right, okay and you're just like yeah you know and it, it, it the money is trivial out of it but it's that you under you have to get your head around that thought process and and i think you sound to be you sound it sounds like you are well past any of these you know hiccups that uh, a new arrival may have uh, to the country and 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 of course long may these last i i think uh, again we are always it's our home but we are still visitors and and right that's exactly true. it that's exactly uh, it yeah and how are you treated then uh, you know in chinchina is there a big uh, uh, immigrant or expatriate community there or how do people see you there yeah um 
I, I've been, I have to generalize. And I thought about this in another conversation I had. And my experience is certainly in central Colombia. And it's rural and it's agricultural. You know, it's coffee, 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 coffee. So most people either are or one generation removed from being farm workers. And they're very, very, they hate conflict. Mm. Uh, and, and when someone who has not been to Colombia might, what? What do you mean they hate conflict? But I saw the movies. I've heard, you know, the drug wars and Pablo Escobar and all that conflict. How can they hate conflict? Well, it, the reason, my theory is the reason why some very few very mean people pulled off what they pulled off is because 99% of the population was so passive, respectful, calm, uh, just nice, super, super nice. Um, you know, one remaining frustration sometimes that I have is generally Colombians tend to, at least in, in my experience, they, they will do everything they can to avoid conflict. It just, and sometimes they're not all, all candid uh, about how they feel. They just rather suck it up and move along and respect that other person's disagreement and avoid a discussion about it. And, and so they've been super, super, super nice. Uh, and I've had nothing but a pleasant experience. I've not had a single um, bad, bad experience one-on-one, uh, you know, ever. Ever, um, they're just sweet, nice people. Excellent. Um, well, I, very I specifically selected for what I was doing a uh, the medical missions. I wanted a non-tourist area, so I found a town that was a hundred percent coffee and was surrounded with little villages of farm workers, and there was zero tourism. So it afforded my opportunity to bring my teams. To have that, uh, what I describe as the ET moment, where I, I literally had a chance to bring the first foreigners into some of these small villages, and and I got to live that interaction, and that uh, on both sides they were so at awe of each other, and, and it was a beautiful, beautiful virgin thing to watch. Um, then we started going a second, a third time to those villages. It wasn't the same, but it, it was it was really cool. It was really cool at the beginning, definitely. When you, when you do your, let's say, inductions, because of mm-hmm. course they have to be done to, to sort of enable people to understand where they're going, is there a political element that you, you bring in? Listen, the politics of this region tends mm-hmm. to be or more conservative or more liberal. Please try not to push your politics on people. Is there something that you say to them along these lines? No, not really. Um, but again, most of the immediate communities, or the volunteering that we do is in the immediate communities. Mm-hmm. The teacher staffing is nationwide. Uh, so in terms of the volunteering, no, it's very monolithic. Everyone's a farm worker. They're not going to discuss uh, politics with our foreigners. And again, the volunteers are here very short term. They're in, and we move from one location to another to do these medical clinics. So the, the subject at hand um, is, uh, you know, providing health care um, for the most part. So politics don't, uh, don't really enter at all now. It's good to hear. So tell us, tell us about this new project of the Graduate Bilingual Program that's going to get people new educational opportunities. 
Man, I tell you that that is uh, something we've been working on for some time. I, I have to, I, I have to clearly state that it's something we're pending approval by the state of California, but we hope it's January. It might slide until next June. We'll see. Uh, but it's a, an agreement with um, an articulation with the university in California because it's not approved. I won't say the name. Mm-hmm. But um, enrollees, Americans, residents, and American citizens are going to be able to enroll in a bilingual education program, what's, what's defined as work-embedded residency model. And there's a few around the country where it's intended to, in the U.S., to help grow your own paraprofessionals to expedite them graduating with either a bachelor's or a master's in education so they can serve in those high-demand school districts. Um, And throughout the country, there's pockets where there's some some big, big demand for um, uh, especially bilingual um, teacher staff. And so they're going to be able to come and work full-time at our partner uh, schools, whether it be primary or secondary, and they'll be working full time. They'll have their salary as teachers for a two year contract, but they're going to enroll part time on a shortened master's or shortened bachelor's degree online. They'll have a mentor assigned to them, someone with a graduate degree uh, at the school and through our foundation, uh, as we're structured as a, as a nonprofit organization. Um, who focuses on education and health um, projects. And they're going to have access, the cool part is, they're going to have access to full FAFSA financial aid. So whether it be a student loan, whether it be a GI bill, whether it be any scholarships, anything that they normally would have while attending a school, uh, an accredited university in the U.S., they're going to be able to do it while working full-time as a teacher in Colombia. So that we hope, um, you know, the first year we have a um, couple of hundred enrolled um, and throughout the country. So we're getting things ready. We're getting our, our schools aligned. Uh, and we hope we light it up in uh, enrollment for January uh, over the next two, three months. Uh, anybody out there listening that wanted to be in a very much a, a graduate bilingual education program immersed in a country of Spanish, how perfect. And, uh, no longer just taking time out from life, but actually using your time wisely to in your career as an educator while your cost of living is much lower living in Colombia. <laughs> um, you know, hopefully, hopefully you'll look us up. Uh, or if you just want to teach uh, for a year, we really need uh, a lot more native English speakers to return to Colombia uh, and teach. Yeah. So, so where can people find you, Glenn? Where can they look up all of these websites and so on? All right. Well, there's there's two since we have two sides of the house. If you go to Minga House, Minga M I N G A Minga House dot org, that is our volunteering and uh, 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 nonprofit foundation website. And a more specific for teacher recruitment is Minga Teachers, Minga Teachers dot org. And there you can enroll. You'll see my number right on the homepage. Uh, be happy to be uh, your advisor and explore, listen to what your goals are and give you a strategic plan how to reach them short term, long term. And, and I, I hope your listeners call. I hope I hope to hear from them. Well, 
there's definitely people out there. There's definitely people out there interested in this kind of thing because I I have put some people together and and uh, I know that uh, a an NGO that who I am a trustee for uh, in England uh, made a call for. Uh, an intern and someone heard it on this and became an intern for the NGO. I mean, that's one listener <laughs> and one, one episode, <laughs> but, but equally so. There are people out there listening for this kind of thing. And I think in a, in a situation such as the one we are living, where, mm-hmm. where you're getting people now, maybe they're uh, double vaccinated and they've been mm-hmm. cooped up for so long or they've decided, well, you know, this, the life that I have chosen for myself up until this point is, is now no longer appropriate. I, I, mm-hmm. I am reassessing my situation. I want to go and, and give back. There are people out there of this, of this nature. I, aged 18, turning 19, went and taught as a volunteer in how this is all age me uh, in Ukraine 1995 so just recently after independence from Russia but it was one of the most formative experiences I ever had uh, you know to really understand as a young adult another part of the world and live with a family and I don't speak any Ukrainian or Russian but it was a really really uh, important experience in my life so uh, you know to anyone out there listening uh, anyone who, who is considering it, check out the websites, check out. And I mean, what would you say to, as we wind this down, Glenn, as well, what would you say to any potential uh, volunteers or workers about the mindset that they might need to have uh, in order to come to Colombia? Oh, man. Um, just, be, just be curious. Be curious about what you're going to learn. Be curious how you are going to react in a different setting. Be curious how you are going to grow. Um, come with curiosity. Come with curiosity. I say that culture is behavior modified over time for reasons. Be curious what those reasons are. You know, we're different throughout the world, not just because it's random. No, different, uh, different experiences, incidents, situations, physical, geographic settings, uh, resources, conflicts, all these modified, just like in natural evolution, we physically evolved and all the animals evolved, right? Uh, but it, as the virus is evolving, so it, culture is the same way. It's behavior. So come with the curiosity of, hey, how come you do that? Why do you do that? And and not judge, but but try to be curious. And the funny thing is sometimes the locals don't even know why they do some things, um, <laughs> but because it's happened over time and generations, but there's a reason there's a, re- and we could have a whole show about that, about unique cultural behaviors and, and about how, and then if you break it down, there's, there's a reason why initially. And then over time, the, the deviation took to a whole different custom, but you know, I, I wanted to say, I was listening to you just now and, uh, yes, we'd love to talk to you about teaching or volunteering in Colombia. But I, I guess if I can contribute anything is, uh, you know, have the courage to just say, my home will be here for me, whether it be it's England or the U.S., I can come back. Um, but go check it out. Go explore. You know, uh, time is not an uh, infinite resource. So find the time to go and explore. And now we are in this global community. And I love being an American, but I, I don't have an itch to go back tomorrow. I'm still an American living abroad, and, and um, there is tons to do 
in a national scale outside of our home countries sometime. So if you have fun, and I, I, don't, I, I do projects in life. I believe everything's a project, a role. You know, Shakespeare said, life is a stage and where you play a series of roles, right? And each role has a beginning and an end. So play it to the fullest and um, go, go somewhere and play a role. You can always retreat back home. It's okay. Or you might just find a whole different long-term chapter in your life. And um, just, I can tell you here in Colombia, as you know, boy, there is so much to do. And I don't mean just in the helping a person as a volunteer. No, whether it be business, whether it be uh, in having an impact on a segment of the population or an industry or innovating. It, I love that. I love that there is so much that I can actually have an impact as we're doing nationally on bilingualism. Uh, so just, just go for it. You can always come back home. It's okay. Have no regrets. Don't leave it there. No, we'll I shouldn't have any regrets. No, no regrets at all. That's at all. And well, listen, that has been a remarkably upbeat and well, enjoyable uh, conversation that we've just had. And I know that my, my listeners will, will have enjoyed it as well because, you know, we've been dealing a lot with what's been going on politically. But this is nice to take another look at Colombia and another look at someone else doing something here and, and, and making, making the projects, as you say, putting them into action and, and carrying them out. So let me, let me say thank you to, this, uh, to Glenn Galindo there in Chinchina, Caldas. Check out the websites. I want to say mingahouse.org and mingateachers.org. That's right? That, that is yeah. correct. Thank you so All much. All right. No, thank you to Glenn out there. Stay safe, stay well, keep on doing the good work and, and thank you for being on the Columbia Calling podcast. Thank you, Richard. You're most welcome. I've been Richard McCall talking to Glenn Galindo here on the uh, Columbia Calling podcast. And of course, we'll be back next week discussing something else Columbia related, of course, for all you listeners out there. Thank you so much to all of you that continue to support us on the Patreon campaign and follow us on Twitter, Facebook and every other social evil, social media evil out there. But that's how we survive. And of course, share it, uh, listen to it, comment, you know, leave us a review. We love all this stuff. Uh, but that's me signing off for this week. Thank you again and goodbye. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio.